if, if you can't tell, all I care about is coffee. That's, that's just my thing in the world. I, I got that impression, maybe. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. This episode is sponsored by Thing. The Seattle Theater Group and Sasquatch Festival founder Adam Zaks present Thing. From August 26th through the 28th at Historic Fort Warden in Port Townsend, you can enjoy a vast musical lineup, including Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and many more. The Thing Festival features two primary stages overlooking the Puget Sound, not to mention a variety of camping and parking accommodations. You can either book a one-day or three-day pass, and kids 12 and under are free, making this an event for the whole family. Come enjoy live music, art, and beautiful Fort Warden with us. To find out all the details, visit thingnw.org. This episode is sponsored by Thing. The Seattle Theater Group and Sasquatch Festival founder Adam Zacks present Thing. From August 26th through the 28th, at Historic Fort Warden in Port Townsend, you can enjoy a vast musical lineup, including Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and many more. The Thing Festival features two primary stages overlooking the Puget Sound, not to mention a variety of camping and parking accommodations. You can book either a one-day or three-day pass, and kids 12 and under are free, making this an event for the whole family. Come enjoy live music, art, and beautiful Fort Warden with us. To find out all the details, visit thingnw.org. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast, take two. My guest today is Paige Anderson. She is the executive director of the Deschutes Estuary Restoration Team. Yay, I said it. Paige, thanks for taking the time, being on the show. Why don't you give our audience a little bit of your personal backstory before we talk about what you're doing as the executive director? Sure. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me and representing the Deschutes Estuary Restoration Team. Uh, I just refer to it as dirt. It's uh, less of a mouthful. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I always struggle with this background question because it's like, well, you know, I've lived this whole life. What do people really want to know about? But as far as uh, career wise, I did my undergrad at Western Washington University in environmental education and policy with a minor in geography. And it was then that I started working in the environmental field. I worked at Bellingham Parks and Rec as a riparian restoration intern for two seasons and then later as a park steward. Um, Moved to Olympia in 2015, where I'm at now, to uh, go to grad school at the Evergreen State College in their Master's of Environmental Studies program, where I focused on landscape ecology. And uh, I've been in Olympia ever since. Um, Most of the time that I've been in Olympia, I've run a small business and worked at City of Olympia. And then about six months ago, I... Uh, have the privilege of, uh, I started working at DIRT as executive okay. director in December. Okay. Where did you grow up at? Oh, um, another favorite question. Thank you. Uh, kind of all over. I moved around okay. a lot as a kid. 
Um, Longest place I ever really lived at one time was Bellingham during college, other than Olympia now. Okay. What made you choose Western? The environmental program. Okay. And it was about as far away as I could get from my high school with still keeping in-state tuition. So where'd you go to high, where'd you graduate high school? Uh, Vancouver, Washington at Mountain View. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, you went from one, one end of the state to the top. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so did you enjoy going to Western? I loved it. Gosh, I miss Bellingham all the time. Uh, Western is an amazing school. I Mm -hmm. transferred there. I, I did running start in high school. So, uh, I went in as a junior and stayed a while so that I could double major and have a minor as well. Because okay. uh, I started out with my major was environmental geology. Okay. Turns out I don't love uh, calculus and physics, so I switched more to the education and policy side. Hmm. Who would have thought? Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> well, before, let's let, just humor me because Bellingham's kind of a cool place oh so what neat. is it about Bellingham that you know I hear you're absolutely you're, you're 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 gushing over Bellingham which is great why what what was it about Bellingham that really appealed to you you know at this point it might be I'll have to admit there's a touch of nostalgia that's you know where I began my independence and adult life mm-hmm. I met my husband got married started our life together in Bellingham and all of the wild, crazy times that go along with college and those years in my life that were, you know, very fun. But we go back to Bellingham every couple months and it's the proximity of the Salish Sea to the mountains, the Chuckanut Sandstone and how beautiful that is, the access to beaches. You could just be downtown and be able to just walk to the water. You can't Mm -hmm. do that in a lot of Northwest cities, not even really in Olympia. But, you know, if we restore the estuary, we can. All right. So before we, before I let you move off of Bellingham, there's one very important question. When you were a college student at Western and you can use today now too, but you, you know, you only go back occasionally. Where do I need to go in Bellingham for coffee? You need to go to Makeworth Market. Oh, okay. That's not one I've heard. Why? Yeah. I mean, no. Oh, please well, elaborate. it's a beautiful space in the. I'm not sure where they get their, who their roaster is, but okay. I like to be in that location because it's right across from the Herald Building, so it's all windows, and there's okay. amazing murals, in like the loft area. One of them is done by Quinn Dimitrov, which is a pretty prominent Bellingham artist, uh, where it's like abstract watercolor design. And in addition to having their coffee bar, they also have a little shop with locally made goods, which is uh, it's kind of similar to Ember Goods in Olympia, if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that. I've also heard that Camber is a very good coffee shop in Bellingham, but I haven't been there. It's just what my pals say. I've been to Camber. And, and unfortunately the other one that I went, so the, back in the day, I wrote a, a series of articles on hundred cups of coffee in a hundred days throughout Washington state. And a buddy and a buddy of mine went with me and we went up to Bellingham and we went to Camber because at that time, I think it had just been awarded one of the best coffee shops in America. 
award. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, it's it's Camber's like way up there. Was it Black Drop? Are you familiar with Black Drop? Yeah, it- yeah, I used to okay. go there and uh, study. Okay. Um, so they they're out unfortunately of business now. just clo- yeah they just closed. So in that day we went to Camber and to Black Drop. So mm. big big difference in how coffee is presented, right? Very different, but, yeah. And sorry, Camber, I really liked Black Drop better. I just did. It was great. I liked Black Drop. I had their, the long story there, but I had their Bellinghamster coffee, which was an entertaining story of how that came about. And I was really saddened when I saw somebody posted, one of my friends posted that they were closing. And it's like, oh, that's, that's too bad. Okay. Mm. Uh, I have to give one more shout out to a coffee shop in Bellingham, Avellino Espresso. I think it's on the main drag in downtown on Railroad. That okay. was the first place where I had a Dirty London Fog. Uh, they oh. called it um, a Bellingham smog. S- yeah, a Bellingham smog because they also added in a little bit of lavender too, and then uh, that okay. just became my drink that I order oh, should, everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so after college, Bellingham, you moved down to Olympia to go to Evergreen. Mm-hmm. And you worked for the city, and you've done all these things. So now, now let's, well, let's let's keeping with my coffee theme, Olympia Coffee. Where 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 do you, what do you recommend? Because if you can't tell, all I care about is coffee. That's that's just my thing in the world. I I got that impression maybe a little bit. Maybe a little. I go to burial grounds the most. Oh, okay. They okay. are uh, worker owned, mm-hmm. and they're uh, they're beans. That's what I buy for home. Okay. All right. Very good choice. Have you ever tried? Um, well, let, let's see. The the two that I think of when I think of when I think of Olympia, I think of Olympia Coffee, and I think of Batrop and Bronson, mm-hmm. which both approach coffee very differently. Um. Yeah. Okay. Enough about coffee. We'll we'll move on to the important for now. now. So, for now, we'll come. T- trust me, we're going to come back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so dirt. Um. Go ahead and explain to the audience the backstory of how this came about and it what and its importance. Sure. So and don't spill your coffee because no, I'm just kidding. Oh, I already finished it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I, I have a, a cup in the microwave <laughs> that's been oh. sitting there. But Ooh, um, okay. so Dirt was founded with the mission to remove the Fifth Avenue Dam in downtown Olympia. So this dam has severed the connection between the Deschutes River that flows um, from the mountains in rural Thurston County mm-hmm. uh, to Puget Sound. This is our southernmost river that connects to Puget Sound that could push. So the Deschutes River, the historical purpose of it when we're talking water quality is to push uh, sediments, pollutants, minerals from the mountain into Puget Sound because mm-hmm. Bud Inlet generally just uh, it doesn't flow with the rest of Puget Sound as easily and this was really uh, ramped up when the dam was put in so right now we have the river Capital Lake which is man-made the dam and then just Puget Sound there's no in between no okay. habitat buffer no nothing um, it, it's, uh, you know, the lake is pretty in the right light and I love walking over the fourth Avenue bridge and looking right down at deep Puget Sound water 
but that's not the way it's supposed to be ecologically and culturally. So in 2009, our board of directors was formed to work on this mission and advocate for dam removal and water quality in the Deschutes watershed and the South Salish Sea. And then in 2011, they achieved 501c3 status. Um, We've been moving along through that, working on advocacy, being involved in the environmental community, being advisors for Raya 13 and other local water agencies and land management. And then in 2020, we became a Puget Soundkeeper Alliance affiliate and member of the National Waterkeeper Program. So this gave us the opportunity to have a larger platform and obligation to monitor water quality in Bud Inlet. Okay. So that's the background. And then what what we do mostly now is we continue the advocacy, continue water quality program and programs and reach out to the community with education events. Okay. So as a little child, very little, I was actually born in Olympia. I don't remember a time when Capitol Lake wasn't present. So when was the dam put in? 1951. 50, okay, so yeah, see, I'm not that old. Okay, good. Younger than the dam. Okay, so so they dammed it up in 51 with, and then the consequences of that have just been going on since, since then. Right. right? Uh, as far years. as I know, it became clear in the 70s that water quality was an issue. Okay. So... So the last 50 years then of awareness, mm-hmm. you know, okay. All right. Removing a dam isn't going to be something we just do though, right? I mean, we're just not going to go and, you know, pull it down and remove it because that just doesn't seem like how things work. So how, how do you guys envision making a positive impact change here? Okay. So I'm so glad you asked about that because recently we found out that through the Department of Enterprise Services, the state agency that owns the lake and the Capitol campus, mm-hmm. through their environmental impact statement process, they have said, they, they announced early that their preferred likely alternative to the lake is the estuary. So okay. we're at this point where they made this announcement months ahead of time. This was supposed to come in September. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, look, we're not really going to do any more research. This isn't our final decision. But, you know, we want to let you know that we're fans of the estuary and Olympia City Council got on board last year as okay. well. So right now it's in the process of the powers that be have to figure out how to fund this and what infrastructure has to be in place for an efficient, equitable done the right way the first time dam removal, especially because Fifth Avenue is a major arterial road mm-hmm. in Olympia. You can't just uh, take the road out of commission for a while. So plans no, have to be, be put in place there. But until the final EIS comes out in September, we are kind of in limbo and communications okay. with different agencies with the visioning process of how can we make this happen? Not just the dam removal, but the subsequent habitat restoration, tourism development, economic development that happens afterwards. 
Right, because it's not just going to be, you know, snap our fingers, remove remove the man-made obstacle, and everything goes back hunky-dory. No, I, unfortunately, there's no, and you know, there's no going back in time either. With restoration, ecological restoration in particular, I find that to remove a man-made problem and put habitat to a state where it can sustain itself maybe at some point in the future, mm-hmm. it takes even more human intervention to make up for that mistake. So the actual restoration of the estuary, we're talking decades after the dam is removed. Yeah, I'm looking at your, your guys' website right now. And so here's, a, here, I'm going to ask you to explain something. Mm-hmm. For, I'm going to be that person in the class who is brave enough to raise their hand and ask the question that everyone's afraid to ask because they're afraid that they're going to be laughed at because what do you mean you don't know? But for our audience, can you please define what an estuary is? Absolutely. You know, as a, and I think all professionals kind of get in, in their heads about things some sometimes and you know i i'm thinking about estuaries every single day so i i forget uh so an estuary is a habitat where saltwater and freshwater mix with the tides so as the tide goes in salt and minerals from the sea come in inundate this habitat that usually has grasses reeds willows other trees it's a wetland and then flooding or the tide going out or just the natural course of the river will bring fresh water back in. Okay. So it's a very unique point where you have this brackish water. So why is this important? I'm not, there, a, I'm not an ecologist. So what, what yeah. why, and, and I'm, I'm, please, I'm not trying to, de- I'm not debating with you. I'm, I'm asking like, why is an why is a functioning healthy estuary important? What's the, what is it providing? Oh, of course. Yeah. No. Um, so a functioning habitat provides a multitude of benefits that it's it's hard to quantify because there are so many benefits. But the most fun example that I like to talk about is salmon habitat. Um, salmon being anadromous fish, they are reared in freshwater hang out for a little bit, and then go kick it in the ocean for a long time, come back. But without an estuary, their systems cannot properly adapt to the transition from freshwater to saltwater. Juvenile salmon hang out in an estuary, so we don't have the salmon capacity in the Deschutes River that there used to be or that okay. the Squaxin Island tribe is entitled to. Okay. So it's kind of a... a it's a nursery. Yeah. That, thank you. That's that's a great way of putting it. Okay. All right. So... And it's beautiful. Know, so... Okay. Uh, but, we, but... We can also frame it in terms of... This is our state capital. Mm-hmm. And having a functioning, beautiful habitat benefits not just the plants and all biota, flora, fauna that can make this place their home and the Mm -hmm. water quality that a free to shoots will influence in the South Puget Sound. But 
we get to look at this. We, we could use this as a symbol of our evergreen state where we say that environmental issues and natural spaces matter and use this yeah. as a tourist attack, attraction and an example nationwide, worldwide, the way that the Elwha River is in that restoration project. There, there hasn't been many restoration projects of urban estuaries where this, this is something that is visible right in front of us. And so it is an educational tool for Washington state, city of Olympia, people passing by to learn about estuaries and develop a sense of place and connection. So that's the human value as well. So the state's given kind of a preliminary indication that their preferred outcome is to to do something mm-hmm. to restore the estuary. And like you said, you're going to get one shot at doing it right. How many groups are going to be involved in this decision making? I mean, it's not going to just happen in a in a silo with the state of Washington enterprise department saying we're going to, you know, knock the dam down. Yeah, probably not. So how many yeah, how many stakeholders will be? Do you? I mean, you might not know an exact answer here, but I'm I'm trying to get a, like a to get consensus, to get buy-in, to get you know agreement. It sounds like there's your organization, there's a tribe, there's the state, there's probably the city of Olympia. Yes, probably will have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Thurston County will have an opinion. Yes, the Port of Olympia. Have, okay. Um, Department of Transportation. Okay, so. One question that comes to mind, and, and once again, I'm the guy in the back of the room raising his hand. Yeah, asking, let's hear it. What will happen? I mean, and you're not, you know, I'm asking your opinion, so I'm not mm-hmm. asking for, you know, okay. So if the dam is removed, what will that do to the water levels of Bud Inlet? Will it change them drastically at all? No. Okay. If anything, so, it will reduce local flooding. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar with... Olympia, you might know that our king tides in the winter or storms top over Capitol Lake and wash over the downtown streets of Olympia, particularly uh, 5th Avenue, 4th Avenue, Water Street, Columbia, that area um, near Percival Landing. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have a lake that is, you know, the water level, it's already full. You have flooding Mm -hmm. come in. That's just going to raise that. And then you get a tide that pushes more water. That causes flooding, which is going to be increasingly common with sea level rise and uh, more severe storms with climate change. So having an estuary rather than a lake can control the amount of water that is in downtown and that is concentrated in southern Bud Inlet. Okay. Okay. Very easy flood control plan. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a tough question because I'm going to ask you to give me a timeline. What is the projected timeline to to remove the dam? How long how long of a project do you think that would be? And I know you're very early on in this process, so I'm just asking you to kind of speculate. Is this something we're going to accomplish in three days, or is it three decades, or you know somewhere in between, probably? But do we have kind of forecasted um, timelines of how long a project like that would take? Yes and no. It's, okay. there. There's many variables and stakeholders at play here. And without knowing 
who is going to be funding this project, who are the decision makers going to be. And without that final environmental impact statement and the plan that is drawn up afterwards, who's to say? I've heard mm-hmm. estimates from five years to 20 years to 30 years. And wow. it depends what those plans include. Are we just talking dam removal? This can be done over a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking restoration, this is the rest of our lives. Okay. Habitats so, take so long to bounce back. So the dam removal, the, the removing of the man-made structure, let's say two to five years. Yeah, I'm I'm not an engineer, so don't. No, quote no, me and, on and that. not. Yeah, no, we're not quoting. But let's say mm-hmm. you know it's a two to five year project, so it's a long term project. That's right. It, that's it a, is. It is a major state infrastructure project, despite right. the dam being very small. Right. Yeah, because they're going to probably have to put a an alternative uh, roadway through mm-hmm. ahead of time, uh, before they you know. Yeah. Okay. Right. With it being downtown, that adds the extra challenge of managing traffic. There's no traffic in our that. in our uh, daily lives. I how many times it, it, it's not even eleven o'clock and I've already passed the Fifth Avenue bridge twice today, and I'm going to do it twice more this afternoon to pick up my kid okay. from school. So okay. I mean, that's just me. Mm-hmm. How many oh, hundreds yeah, of sure. people? Uh, I don't have the statistics of how frequently Fifth Avenue is used, but it's also uh, one of the main ways to get to Tumwater as well. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's so um, it's uh it, it's major. It, it's right. more than uh like rural dam removal right. projects because there's a road on top of it, and it, it yeah, is really no. just hard to say how long it will take. So uh, let's right. touch base on that in a couple months. Sure, sure. No, and and I'm not. And once again, I'm really not trying to like pin anybody down to deadlines i'm i'm trying to help paint a picture oh totally not uh it's this is a massive undertaking oh believe me the the vagueness of it it uh keeps me up at night i'm like well you know we've gotten this far where in the beginning dirt just had to convince people that estuaries matter and that Mm -hmm. having a very polluted water body in the center of our capital city is not a good look and that we need to raise above the nostalgia for this lake and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That advocacy chunk has taken 20 years or more. There were individuals in the community advocating for dam removal before dirt was formed. So this goes back to the eighties and just mm-hmm. now we are at the point where there's finally light at the end of the tunnel where it's like okay we still need to fight but we're all kind of on the same page here at least that the dam needs to be removed it is going to be removed so now it's this uh huge possibility of what do we do now because this fight is changing it's adapting who's going to be involved what's the timeline it's there's a lot of uh, balls in the air and a lot of jugglers too. So it's this, uh, it's this dance that all of us at Dirt and every involved party is trying to wrap their heads around. This is an enormous project. Well, so I started off by saying, you know, let's remove the dam, and we're we're kind of we're, our working our working opinion here is two five years. Okay, mm-hmm. that's our working opinion. Yeah, that would be but, great. 
But before that, you said, you know, 20 or 30. So really what I see is the tip of the iceberg is the physical removal of the man-made structure and replacing it with a new man-made structure. Mm -hmm. The bulk of the work is below water, if you will, in the sense that you don't see it. Mm-hmm. That it's going to take decades of stewardship to restore the estuary into a, a to its functional biology that it should be. Yes, right, absolutely, and the planning so, that happens before that as well. So it, right, the dam removal itself, the physical removal of this barrier might not take that long in the grand scheme of things, but the planning that leads up to it. And then the stewardship afterwards is what makes the project so large. And I think that's part of why there's been some resistance to the estuary, not so much now, but previously as well. This is a huge undertaking. The lake's already there. Let's just leave it. Um, But what it came down to and what what it's likely to come down to in the final statement is this is still the cheapest option to really remove the dam and have an estuary that will we we will there, there's going to be stewardship that's needed but nature has a way it's going to mm-hmm. take care of itself at some point but if we leave capital lake and have to dredge it constantly so that we could keep the water level low enough so that there's not massive eutrophication, which is um, the removal of oxygen from water because of, for example, death of algal blooms that pop up, which, you know, you can't live in an environment without oxygen. So, uh, you know, death to the critters and uh, other water quality issues as well. And so mitigating that year after year after year into the foreseeable future forever, that is expensive. You make me think of a question. You might not know the answer. How, so since Capital Lake's a man-made lake, how how deep is this lake? Oh, it varies. It it depends. Uh, I'm not sure where it's at right now. Okay. But uh, last low tide i i think i saw some sediment so it's not super deep right now because of course all the sediment that the river drags down doesn't Mm -hmm. go through the dam so it just stops and collects in capital lake rather than so we being washed away into the the ocean so the ongoing yeah there would be ongoing dredging maintenance of this Mm -hmm. man-made man-made lake okay yeah which is um hundreds of thousands of dollars if not more each time yeah, hundred thousand dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. No, it does um, no. Uh, I think it's closer to millions. I, yeah, I'm not I mean, totally you, sure you, on that number. Even a million doesn't go as far it, as uh, the yeah. lake hasn't been dredged in a while, and you know how inflation has um, happened. <laughs> yeah, nothing. No. Yeah. I just gassed up. I just mm-hmm. gassed up yesterday at five sixty a gallon. No, it hasn't done 560? anything. That was. Dang, it was four ninety five when I filled up, but that was with my ten cents off a gallon. Yeah, well, and I unfortunately was in the middle of northern central Washington and didn't have a lot of you know Costco gas was not an option. Oh yeah, uh, my husband was just in the Winthrop area and said it was almost six dollars. Yeah, yeah. Were you mm-hmm. out there for morels or vacationing? Uh, business. No, uh, no, just business. Not not fun. Just business. Um, 
but we're going to put a pin in that because mm-hmm. we'll come back to that topic in a second. What do you think Dirt's role would be on in the ongoing uh, stewardship of this newly, I don't want to say created, but for lack of a better word, newly created estuary? Is will, will, Do you envision having a role to play to help oversee that process or will you have accomplished the goal of what it was set out to do? You know, Scott, created it is exactly the right word. Even though an estuary is a natural habitat, for the first several years, decades, this is a manufactured place. This is human design. So yeah, it it is entirely created. Um, so DIRT sees itself as an organization continuing our role as a community connector and advocate for the estuary, giving the Deschutes River a voice of its own and connecting mm-hmm. the dots between tourism, economics, environmental justice, ecology, and being the education hub for mm-hmm. the community. And right now we do that through connecting with local tribes, local governments, other environmental environmental NGOs and the public through our community forums, through grant projects, through water quality, you name it. And right now we're really pushing for the formation of the Deschutes Watershed Council, which would be a government entity that manages, oversees the Deschutes watershed and the restoration projects that happen there. which is kind of related to the work that we do as a community advisor for Raya 13. Um, And this, the Deschutes watershed, except it's more, to my understanding, it's still being formed and still being discussed. We actually have a meeting with a representative to talk about it and the details of how it would function tomorrow. Um, we, We have the potential to become and continue, I should say, our role as advocates and advisors. Okay. Approximately how many people are involved with the organization? Okay. So we have two staff members, myself and our outreach coordinator. We have eight board members and our volunteer base. We have 700 volunteers signed up, but we usually go through about 10 volunteers a month, but it really depends what we are working on in the summer months it's definitely more so what give us an example of what you would be using volunteers for sure so on tuesday um for those of you uh listening to this that was may 31st we had a climate change community forum at the olympia center which is a city-owned uh like a community center downtown actually overlooks bud inlet so that's really great uh, we So we brought in speakers from the city of Olympia, Squaxin Island tribe, former representative Beth Doglio, and a representative from Thurston Climate Action Team. We asked these speakers to come in and talk about climate change and how restoring the estuary can help mitigate these effects on our community. We provided food okay. and drink. Uh, gave space for other environmental organizations to come in and have tables. We had Olympia Surfrider Foundation, Sierra Club, Olympia Highs, Climate Club, and Thurston Climate Action Team actually had a table there as well. 
as well as our table. And we needed volunteers for setup, cleanup, mm-hmm. distributing flyers, helping people out with accessibility needs, that sort of thing. And so we, we do that every so often. That's a very easy way to be involved. Another way to be involved, which has been a huge hit in the last few years, um, the last two years since becoming a Waterkeeper affiliate, is we go out on kayak patrols. We will leave from Boston Harbor Marina or West Bay Marina with our YSI meter. It's a water quality testing meter. It tests for pH and dissolved oxygen and a couple other things. Uh, We have a group of five or six volunteers and we lead them through wherever the tides allow us to go at the time and talk about shoreline restoration, teach them about water quality and develop a sense of place so that they in turn can bring that to their community. So they volunteer their time to learn about that and, you know, go on a kayak. Okay. Like all of us, when we work in a topic, you know, we, we throw out words and we just, we, we say it all the time. We're like, you know, water keepers, mm-hmm. but let, let's elaborate on that. What is that organization? Um, and what is their focus and how does it relate? Yes. So Waterkeeper Alliance, they are, um, they're a larger parent organization that advocates for water quality and each member organization or affiliate is responsible for collecting water quality a certain number of times per quarter, reporting on that, attending conferences, and taking legal action when necessary against polluters. So is Waterkeeper, is that a national, international organization, state organization? It is mostly national, but there are a few international chapters as well. Yeah. Do you, you know, just how many other organizations are members of this in Washington? Oh, uh, let's see. We, I'm not sure on the exact number, but the ones that I've worked with have been Spokane Riverkeeper, Puget Soundkeeper in Seattle, the ones that we are affiliated with, um, Mm -hmm. North Bay, uh, Waterkeeper in Bellingham, Grace Harbor Waterkeeper, and Columbia Riverkeeper, it's based in Oregon, but with the Columbia being where it is, they go back and forth. Okay. All right. I know you threw some other terms out there too, so let me know. Yeah, just that, a- Yeah, I will. But those are, you know, because you, you mentioned Waterkeeper a couple mm-hmm. times, I thought we'd, we'd bring that up. So you have 700 potential volunteers. You've got seven, 700 people have signed up to mm-hmm. have some duties, activities with your organization. That's that's. That's quite amazing, actually. Right. Uh, that's who we've got in our software and with Dirt being around since 2009, that has added up and we are getting signups pretty much every day now. Our that's new outreach cool. coordinator is absolutely amazing with getting people uh, stoked about being involved and how they can lend their time to advocate for the estuary. What are they doing that is having such good traction how are how are you how does your organization spread the word what are you social media what what are you doing to educate and in inform 
Okay, so we take a multifaceted approach to community outreach using the tactics of community-based social marketing. Um, and let me just define that for you real quick. Community-based social marketing is a methodology for outreach that mm-hmm. puts the benefits of the individual front and center, um, and it doesn't appeal to the... Uh, where a lot of nonprofits fall short in previous ideas of marketing is you should do this just because. And so CBSM or community-based social marketing centers on the idea that there is benefit from taking individual action. And this has been very popular with like plastic reduction organizations. The city of Olympia uses it for their pollution prevention programs, which is where I learned it. So using that idea, um, and I could send some links if you have like a show notes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. Please. We will, we'll get to you. Yes. Okay. Cause that's a whole like thing that I could talk about forever, but for the sake of brevity, we use this uh, methodology to create our blog, which is then, then shared, um, yeah, through the internet, um, with social media, we use uh, YouTube, I guess, as social media these days, yeah, as well sure as a content is. platform. Um, man, the algorithms of all these websites, I have been so fascinated by them. Question. Um, and here's then an we important question. use email marketing as well. Okay. So this is the important question. Are you on TikTok? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> um, I mean, I am personally, but I keep deleting the app because it is, it is a time suck. Uh, so, and content marketing is a whole other ball game that we haven't quite gotten into yet. Um, mm-hmm. it is on the horizon. It's a hamster wheel. It's a lot. You can't, you can't get off of it. No. You just can't. You. And I know that's the way to reach people. And I mean, we do use social media. We get, we're on Instagram and Facebook, which at times does seem static, but we've seen some growth there, especially recently with reevaluating our strategy and consistency with the platforms. But man, TikTok, Reels, I, I'm not a young enough millennial to quite understand. <laughs> I, I have a friend who, well, he was, his goal was to put out one piece of short content a day for 30 days a day one piece of short content a day for 30 days he's got skills i mean he okay this is this isn't like he's starting from ground zero not knowing what he's doing you know, this, the guy has skills and after i think three days he quit he goes i just can't do it i just i can't because mm-hmm. he was his goal was to put it in you know put it on instagram as appropriate youtube tiktok you know all, all the all the channels mm-hmm. and uh he's like yeah i just can't do it yeah, it, 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 it's more uh, than just, you know, you could create the content and put it out there and nothing happens. You also have to think about engagement strategy, which is a whole other absolutely topic. It's with a full time job. Out, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a full time job. <laughs> um, because if you if you unintentionally ignore the wrong person, then you've got damage control Yeah, that, you know, springs up for reasons you're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Or if you miss a boat but, on a mention and... Yeah. Yeah. 
But at the same time, it is incredibly powerful. It is. I, to I love to build take it and in. engage. Mm-hmm. It is our goal to get more involved with that in the future. Well, let's talk. So present day, what's coming? So at the time we're recording this, it's early June of 2022. Mm-hmm. So what's next on the horizon? What's what's what tangible road markers are look are you looking at now? In terms of uh, our activities, or mm-hmm. okay, yeah, let's so go with activities. the weather is nicer, so we're ramping up our kayak patrols again. Our staff mm-hmm. has been um, going out periodically to monitor water quality, but it's it's hard to take the public out and volunteers when it's windy and rainy and they might not be as comfortable on kayaks as we are so now we have the opportunity of taking people out more frequently and Mm -hmm. bolstering that water quality data set that we can we are in the progress of turning that into a story map that will be developed over the next few years with different uh, water quality and ecological factors from other data sets morphed into uh, Deschutes watershed housed with dirt story map. So we're in the beginning phases of c- creating that with our water quality data, photos, and drone imagery. Okay. So that's a really fun summer activity. We're also working on a pollution reporting program where right now we have a pollution tip line where you could call us and we'll redirect you to the resources because it, it can be kind of hard to figure out so, you know, like you're out and you see this murky water, like, well, you know, this looks gross, but is it pollution? And if it is, what kind and who do who do we call and right. what's going to be done about this? So in hand in hand with Peter Soundkeeper, we are creating um, a booklet for mass distribution that will go along with the tip line that we already have to educate the public on pollution so that they can become um, confident advocates themselves. And then meanwhile, we're waiting for the EIS decision and continuing to reach out to folks. We've got some booths at farmer's markets and other events. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're busy. We've got so much else going on, but those are those are the highlights. What farmer's markets do you have booths at? We are going to Tumwater's Farmer's Market twice a month mm-hmm. and we okay. are booked at the strawberry festival june 18th in olympia and then the love local lacy events are once a month okay all relevant locations that have stakes in this yeah situation. diverse right okay. it's a great way to meet people and answer these questions about um what is Capital Lake? What is an estuary? How can you be involved? And why does this matter to you? Those mm-hmm. interactions revitalize us and help us keep an eye on the, or what is the phrase I'm trying to use? A finger on the pulse of the community and where they're at education wise and the work okay. that we still need to do. Because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when you're Thinking of estuaries night and day, it's really easy to be like, oh, yeah, dam removal, it's going to happen. But we have this massive three-city community. Mm-hmm. We got, we still have to get out there, even if we're starting to uh, reach our goals. Uh, in some ways, I feel like we're still just beginning, too, in a lot of ways. 
all three communities will be impacted Mm -hmm. by the disruption that removing the dam will create. Yeah. Just, just, they just will be. And so it's good that you're out there trying to inform and educate Lacey. It doesn't seem like Lacey would be relevant if, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Olympia area, Lacey's east of Olympia, Mm -hmm. just, you know, you don't even necessarily notice when you leave Olympia to go into Lacey. It's just, you know, it's, it's a stoplight. Maybe you cross into Lacey. It's uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I actually yeah. live in Lacey, but barely yeah. my right. exact address. There's a Lacey version and an Olympia version. We get each other's right. mail all the, time. Uh, all the time. So that's, that's where it is. And you can also, you know, in Southern Olympia across the street and you're in Tumwater. And right. we don't stick within our arbitrary no. boundaries. You know, I, I live barely in Lacey. I work in downtown Olympia. My kid goes to school in West Olympia. So it's all around they're, all the time. Right. Right. Exactly. We no, all no, use Fifth not, Avenue. They're not siloed at all. Yeah, no, no. It's all Olympia. So we're waiting. We're waiting for the state to give their report, which mm-hmm. should be reasonably soon. Yeah. And then comes the bureaucracy part. Yes. Uh, Figuring out what we need to put in place, how we're planning, who is in charge. Uh, These these are great unknowns at this point. You know, we might have ballpark ideas, but those can just as easily change. So it's, it's we're in this waiting period between everything we've worked for and dreamed for this reality is on the horizon and how do we roll with that and continue to advocate for the estuary without getting lost in the bureaucracy i'm going to mix up my show flow a little bit i'm going to ask you a question i typically wait to the very end so we're going to we're going to wrap up this part of our conversation because i want to come back to something about from you personally Mm -hmm. so what didn't i ask you about Derek that i should have asked you Oh, cool. Putting me on the spot. Um, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, uh, we're, we're very strategic with our objectives and missions. So we stay, there's not a lot to know that we haven't already discussed, but I will say that, um, the, something else that I like to put across with dirt is, we, yes, we are advocates and advisors, but who advises us is a question that comes up a lot. Like, where do okay. we take direction from? And the answer okay. to that is primarily the Squaxin Island tribe and the relationships that um, the previous executive director, who's the founder of DIRT, and the rest of the organization have fostered for years. They, they're advisors on our strategic plan which we just mm-hmm. revamped in April. And we also take direction from the community scientists and use the most recent available data to inform our decisions. This is not uh, environmental for the sake of being environmental. This isn't so much a values game. This is the rights of the indigenous people mixed with science and where those intersect and then advocating Mm -hmm. based on that and moving it forward in the community to everyone. 
So kind of like being okay. a, a funnel. Okay. Excellent. All right. Back to you. Oh, great. <laughs> Back to you, Paige. When we talked on the phone, you mentioned something in passing. Ponderosa Creative. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's elaborate on that just a little bit. Sure. But th- but then, I'll give you the next part so you can, th- you, while you're elaborating, you can be pondering the next one. So I mentioned gas, and I mentioned I was in North Central Washington. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your husband was up in Winthrop, and then you mentioned morels. Your bio says, and I quote, Paige enjoys sewing, tending to her houseplants, mushroom foraging, and most of all, being a wife and mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's me. Okay. After you tell me about Ponderosa Creative a little bit, let's talk about mushroom foraging. Yeah, you bet. Um, okay. I'll let you know right now, uh, my husband's the mushroom guy, and I'm just along for the fun of it. Uh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> so, that's fine. Ponder- so is he a fun guy? It sure is. Sorry, that was really bad. <laughs> That was really awful. <laughs> yeah, that was some low fruit. I'll, I'll give it to you, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, a Creative, um, I've always been, let's take it way back. So, I've always been a person that's been very interested in textiles and art and ecology equally. Mm-hmm. And my career and professional life has always been a tug of war of which side am I going to focus on the most because, you know, I think uh, as a society and culturally, we're we're taught that you have one thing and that is it. You cannot be multi-passionate. But I uh, I was getting real burnt out at school. You know, you, you read like 200 pages of ecology a night and no matter how much you love it, you need an outlet, right? And, um, Absolutely. I also really like business and... I saw a need in the community for other people to relieve burnout so that they could keep going on their passion. Um, so I started, um, I started an Etsy shop in, oh gosh, 2015. And wow. I started selling embroideries and quilts, things that I had made to try to give joy to other people. And, you know, if you don't have time to make something, have something that was handmade support artisans and then it through the years it developed into i'm going to create stuff that other people can be creative with so i've done everything from quilt patterns to embroidery patterns quilt patterns teaching embroidery and quilting classes and now the um the major creative supply that I provide is Ponderosa Thread Gloss, which is a thread conditioner that's all natural. It's made of essential oils and extracts, beeswax, uh, straight from Shelton, and coconut oil that's organic for trade. So that has been uh, uh, just a <laughs> runaway bestseller. Um, so some context career-wise, after grad school... Well, during grad school, I became a mother and it's hard for mothers. Uh, well, any parent that is the primary parent sometimes to find work that accommodates for the role of nurturing a child. It's uh, <laughs> it's just unreal. Like even in Washington, where is there affordable daycare? Where is there job enough that will pay for it? So I stayed home and I focused on Ponderosa for a few years. 
so that I could be home with my daughter and we could do that together and I could still have an income and I could explore this like side that I'd never given daylight to of being an artist and business person. So anyways, did that a few years. I'm like, you know, I am not complete without working in the environmental field. So I started back up at City of Olympia, which was my last job before Mm -hmm. Ponderosa and um, shifted so that Ponderosa is part-time and then I'm in the environmental field part-time and it is perfect. Of course, it did take years to get the business at a point where it's scalable. So it's mostly passive at this point because I, yeah, I really just dedicate my time to dirt these days and Ponderosa runs itself. All right. So I have a couple of questions. Yeah. How did you name, why did you name it Ponderosa Creative? Mm-hmm. So uh, in grad school, my candidacy for the degree was based on research about Ponderosa pine uh, migration and climate change resiliency. And I fell in love with this tree because they're of their adaptability. And I kind of found it as a, I'm sorry, this is so cheesy, but as like a metaphor for myself being uh, with, with growing up and challenges, I, I think I'm resilient. I think that's a strength and ponderosa pines have that same thing to where they don't thrive unless there's well they thrive best after a disturbance where then they can have that growth then their cones will give seed and they're doing great with climate change especially with i found in my candidacy uh paper and i'm curious to see how the um it's been six and a half years since i wrote that paper but um how the science has changed because at the time um some scientists were taking tree stock of ponderosa from the southwest transplanting it mm-hmm. into the like inland northwest like northeast washington and finding okay. success with drought resistance and fire adaptability so that just really spoke to me and the resilience there and then also being a family person my husband born and raised in Northeast Washington. His parents' property, Ponderosa's all over the place. So it was just special to me. So I took it. All right. Once again, and I'm set, I set you up for this, Mm -hmm. by the way. You're using language that you talk about every day. So thread the loss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally set you up for this. I mean, being fair. So why don't you explain to the audience what, what exactly is thread gloss mm-hmm. and why is it is it why is it being used okay totally thank you for catching me on these things i never know what to stop and explain or what to be efficient with so thread gloss is a that's what i call it but it's a thread conditioner is the the category of product that it's in you okay. use it for anything that you are using a needle and thread to complete The most popular uses are for embroidery and hand quilting, but people also use it for making jewelry, um, doing beadwork, book binding, leather work. Um, So basically you you thread your needle and so it's in a tin Mm -hmm. and you open the tin lid 
You place your thread onto the beeswax and hold it down with your thumb while pulling through with your other hand so that the wax just very lightly coats the thread, which makes it stronger, less prone to tangle, and it won't fray or leave thread debris. So it's so much easier to go about your project. It exponentially increases the efficiency of your stitch work while, Mm -hmm. you know, how frustrating is it to get a tangle every couple minutes? So if you don't have to deal with that, it's just more enjoyable to be doing your craft. Does that uh, does that help there? No, oh, that does. But now I get it's to very make, now I'm going to tease. Okay, so now I'm going to tease you. Hippie blend, mm-hmm. vacay blend, natural blend, Santa Fe blend, Olympic blend, creamsicle blend, Marie blend. You're going to read all fifteen. Blend. Uh, no, we're going to stop. This, uh, this is this is the one that I was reading and I just, I got a chuckle out of. Hippie Blend mm-hmm. contains beeswax, coconut oil, and frankincense, essential oils. Smells like your college visits to a dazzling bohemian food co-op. Mm-hmm. Who's your copywriter? Me. Who came up with, who came up with the dazzling <laughs> bohemian food co-op? I, That's I write brilliant. everything for Ponderosa. You know, and I get and that comment all the time about how funny the scent blends are. And I don't know. I'm just having fun with it. Uh, well, but that's that is so like, like it's one. a very specific smell. And all the blends, I try to really take it from nostalgia and relatable uh, experiences. So there's a co-op in Bellingham. It's it's okay. it's downtown. Uh, it's in this like, I think it's on Forest Street in this big yellow building at the deli counter. There was a gal who would burn frankincense incense. So you walk in and you're greeted with this. And it's like, ah, oh, yes, I'm uh-huh. going to get the best deli food in town. I just aced an exam, like self-identifying as like a hippie environmental student. So that's what that smell was to me. And I All try right. to bring that uh, that sort of vibe to the different blends. I like this one. Transports you to the elusive tropic anywhere but here. <laughs> I love these. This is awesome. I'm not. I'm, I think I'm, I wrote that one in I winter. Not, I am not making fun no, of no. you. I am enjoying the the wordsmithing of a product that I had no clue existed, much less that there was a need for. And I'm enjoying reading about it. That's kind of cool. Um, Thank you. Calming neutral among the chaos of life. Now, what I have a question though is so you 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 thread the needle you run the thread through the tin with your thumb on it how long does the thread keep the the scent does am i am i is my handcrafted quilt gonna smell like a, a food co-op forever and ever or <laughs> no is this <laughs> so um this is what makes ponderosa thread gloss unique you know i've got these you know, you're not going to see these descriptions on a candle or these specific fragrances necessarily on like a candle or like other mainstream thread conditioners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you're also not going to see all natural ingredients on the others either, you know, just between you and me. But um, what makes that unique is they're very subtle because I use all natural beeswax where I do the filtering myself. So the scent hasn't been taken out of the beeswax. So that right there will mellow out the essential oils so they will fade eventually. And when you wash okay. it, it's gone. It's okay. 
It's more of like a, just... uh, the way that people have described it to me uh, <laughs> has been this therapeutic while you're doing it. And then it aromatherapy yeah. while you're crafting. Yeah. Especially okay. with the, the two most um, popular blends are Olympic and Cascades, which are very traditional, like therapeutic, you know, pine, cedar, lavender, lemon are okay. popular in those. And so, you know, folks like that to just, you know, relax, well, sit down, I- watch a TV show, do your quilt bl- binding. I'm going to read the Cascade mm-hmm. blend. Cascade Blend contains beeswax, coconut oil, and the following essential oils. Blue spruce, Fraser fir, lemon, and cedar bark. Smells like the hike to Diablo Lake Overlook minus sunscreen and sweat. If you ever decide you don't want to be, you know, the executive director of an of a of a environmental group, you have a future as a copywriter for advertising. <laughs> just saying. Well, just I mean, saying, uh, okay? with business, it, it's all advertising. <laughs> Just, that alone, just you know, I there's, I get so many reviews actually that are, that say, you know, it was the, it was the descriptions that made me buy it. So it, yeah, yeah that's, I think okay. advertising is fascinating. And that's what outreach is so too, you, even with environmental. So the, there's right. that crossover skill of how do you get people to pay attention? So we're going to circle back to that last one. So I typically frame this question like this. So when you're not doing the thing that you do, so mm-hmm. when you're not doing estuary outreach and when you're not doing ponderosa thread mm, gloss so never. things like that well, come on now <laughs> play along what do you and the family like to do for fun mm. that's where the mushroom mushroom foraging comes in that you can there's your answer mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah where do you where do you like to go mushroom foraging okay so it depends on the season um i actually haven't been foraging this year i with um with dirt and I usually work overtime at dirt. I just, I can't step away. <laughs> I get really passionate about things. Okay. And then Ponderosa has had this huge boom lately. Um, so um, I've been staying home while my daughter and husband go out foraging so that I could work, um, which is a okay. blessing. But they've been out in Eastern Washington going and looking for morels and burns. So my husband Josiah mm-hmm. will during burn season We'll kind of like keep an eye out of where things are really burning, what the slope angle is, where the accessible mm-hmm. roads are, and he'll plan a trip based on that. And I'll just go with. Uh, but my favorite foraging season is the fall because you don't have to uh, do all that work to figure out where you're going to find them. Um, <laughs> so I like to find chanterelles, and my very favorite is lobster mushrooms. We go out to... Well, I'm not going to tell you where my spot is, but it's a. I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> it's an abandoned campground. I'll tell you that, and it's a. Okay. It's in um, a temperate forest. We go out there and hit the jackpot a couple times in the fall, and I I won't be missing out on that. The closest thing I've gotten to foraging, um, this spring has been after my husband Josiah comes back with his like coolers full of morels processing them like putting them in the dryer giving them to people doing the whole like how do we store these for a year until we get more very it brings me some like homestead vibe joy even if i'm in suburbia and doing this in between tasks at work okay 
That's awesome. Once again, I'll I use my get out of jail free <laughs> card. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Oh God, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, well, I guess the most I don't know how to answer this, Scott, but I will say like the most important things about me we have covered because you're great at asking questions. Um, very multi-passionate, love my family, love nature, love colors and textures and art and advertising and writing. Um, but the thing that is most, most, most important about me is motherhood and that okay. role. That's, that's why I do everything else. All right. Where can people find more out about everything? Okay. So for a Deschutes Estuary Restoration Team, you can find us at DeschutesEstuary.org or on Instagram at Deschutes Estuary and on Facebook at Deschutes Estuary Restoration Team, the whole thing after the Facebook.com. And you could email me directly at Anderson at DeschutesEstuary.org. Okay. We'll put links in the show notes. Those are mouthful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If people want to read your witty thread gloss descriptions, where can they find those at? PonderosaCreative.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today and talk. Oh, thank you, Scott. This I, has been a blast. I really appreciated it. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. And I'm looking forward to keeping informed about how everything progresses because that's it's kind of exciting. Yes, uh, you and everyone else definitely uh, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. That's the best way to stay informed. Perfect. Thanks so much. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.